0: Kristen. Hello, Caroline. So, Kristen, as listeners may know, we are on our winter break right now. You know, even podcasters need their holiday downtime. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in the meantime, we have some special holiday treats for your ears. Yes. Throughout the month of December, we're sharing a few of our favorite episodes
1: that you might have missed. And for this week, we are revisiting an episode that, I mean, how do I say this? it's a slam dunk.
0: It's a slam dunk. (laughs) Since we first aired this episode last year, our basketball queen, Letitia Amahir, has started playing for the University of South Carolina, where she is a power forward.
1: Yeah. And y'all, maybe we're biased, but this is seriously one of Team Unladylike's favorite episodes of all time. So if you need a lift this holiday season, here you go. Nothing but net, babies. Take a listen. Myers gets it up to Leslie. What's she going to do? She dunked it! For the first
2: time in WNBA history, someone has dunked in a game. It's Lisa Leslie with the dunk. I'm lady Larry. A lady like a lady like a lady!
0: and Welcome to Unlady Life, where we find out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And what y'all just heard was six
1: foot five Lisa Leslie making the first ever dunk in WNBA history in 2002.
0: Amazing! And Kristen, you and I are not, like, the biggest basketball fans, but we are fascinated by the dunk, and it's kind of witchy power over the women's game, even though you rarely see dunking in the WNBA.
1: Yeah, because listeners, did you know that in more than 20 years, just six WNBA players, including Lisa Leslie, have dunked during regulation games and have made fewer than 20 dunks between them? Like, meanwhile, Michael Jordan dunked 21
0: times in his last season alone— And because everybody wants to be like Mike, the dunk has come to symbolize men's supposed superiority in the sport. It's the wow factor that sports bros and WNBA haters pretty much always point to as proof that the women's game simply does not deserve all the fans, fame, and fortune that the guys get. So what the dunk, Caroline? I mean, is it
1: time for women to just start bringing the slams? Would that win the WNBA the credit
0: deserves? I don't know that it's so simple. Because to dunk or not to dunk just raises more questions, right? Like how and why we size up men's versus women's basketball and whether dunks really are the end-all be-all of excellence. Like, is dunking really the missing wow factor for women or are we just getting hung up on the jam?
1: Well, fortunately, we're talking to two dunking superstars to help us sort through all of this. First up, we'll hear from former WNBA player, Olympic gold medalist, no big deal, and current college coach who put the women's game on the map in seven-tenths of a second.
0: Then we're off to Canada? Yes, Canada. To meet one of women's basketball's most promising up-and-comers who's been dunking like nobody's business since middle school. Okay,
1: Caroline, let's talk for a hot second about why dunking
0: is such a big deal for women. Yeah, so there are three main reasons we're going to explore throughout this episode. Number one, science. Number two, strategy. And number three, controversy.
1: Yeah, so let's start with number one, science. Time for some biological facts of heights, folks. NBA players are, on average, seven inches taller
0: than WNBA players. In other words, guys are just closer to the rim to begin with. On top of that, based on musculature, guys' bodies are just built to jump higher than women's, whether we're talking about LeBron James or just Rando's name James. For instance, the average men's college player can vertically jump almost 10 inches higher than the average women's college player. That's the basic science. But that's not to say that women can't
1: dunk, even if you're just six feet tall, like our first guest, Charlotte Smith. So your, your Twitter bio describes you as an ex-dunker. Uh, why is that?
2: That is correct. When I was in high school, I started dunking. And it was a goal of mine to be the first woman to dunk in a college game. So when I got to UNC, eventually I dunked in a game my senior year. Um, but, you know, as the years continue to add on in the age bracket, you become ex-dunker. And so it's it's <laughs> funny because people always ask me, you know, can you still dunk? And I always tell them, the only thing I'm dunking now is donuts and coffee. <laughs> so, hence the name ex-dunker. Gotcha, gotcha. This is Charlotte Smith, or Coach Smith
1: to her players, For the past eight years, she's been the head coach of Elon University's women's basketball team, the Phoenix, in North Carolina.
0: But even though Charlotte is only Dunkin' Donuts these days, make no mistake, she is a legend. In the early 1990s, before the WNBA existed, Charlotte played a pivotal role in getting folks to take the women's college game more seriously.
2: And how did young Charlotte do that? I wanted to be like Mike. I wanted to emulate everything that Michael Jordan did. I grew up in an era where Nike was really popular and and the whole Jumpman um, era was going on. And I even, you know, when I first started dunking, was emulating the Jumpman dunk. Jumpman as in the
1: Spread Eagle Air Jordan logo. And obvious fact alert, Caroline, this is not easy to do.
0: Yeah, like, just imagine you're on a basketball court, like, getting your dribble on or whatever, and you start charging towards that hoop, which is 10 feet or about two Carolines high. But in order to actually punch the ball into the net to dunk, you've got to jump high
1: enough to reach at least six inches above. Above the rim. So we're talking like maybe like uh,
0: two Carolines and a quarter high. (laughs) (laughs) And our six-foot-tall trailblazer, Charlotte Smith, was determined to do it, even in the wrong shoes.
2: Growing up, my parents could not afford, you know, the shoes. They were pretty expensive. And I had a cousin who actually had, like, every pair of Jordans. And so she was gracious enough to give me a pair of her shoes, a pair of her Jordans. Unfortunately, they were a size too small. But I loved Mike so much that I forced my feet into those shoes (laughs) and wore them an entire high school season. Charlotte's love of the game didn't surprise her parents one
1: bit. Growing up in small-town North Carolina, her three brothers were always up to shoot
2: hoops. One of her uncles had even gone pro basketball was in our blood and we would always go out looking for any opportunity to play basketball, whether it was in the backyard, whether it was on concrete playgrounds, whether it was on red dirt courts, you know, we, we love the game. And so we were always looking for opportunities to play where we spent a lot of our time playing is in my grandmother's backyard. And so typically I was the only girl to play basketball and it was one of those things where it was like you had to hold your ground and play or not play at all. And and I used to always tease my brothers with the mantra anything that boys can do girls can do better. But I just grew up with the mentality that, you know, I have same amount of legs, same amount of arms, same amount of eyes, you know, it's <laughs> like there's nothing physically that can You know, withhold me from being just as good as they are. So I just went into it with the mentality I could have the same skill set and I could be just as good. Love that attitude, Caroline.
0: Also, love how
2: much her brothers and uncle respected her
0: game. It was never like, okay, guys, the real basketball is over because Charlotte's here. And it showed. By the time Charlotte started playing organized basketball in high school, she was hot stuff.
1: And Charlotte was really starting to feel herself on the court. She and her squad often challenged guys to pick up games and won. Then
2: one day, Charlotte decided to level up like Mike. It was in high school, and it was after our practice, and the guys were just getting ready to start practice, and they were doing their layups to get warmed up, and a lot of them were dunking. And I just sat there and I watched. And I thought, well, I probably can't do it. But then I finally got up the courage to just jump in the line in the middle of their practice. I said, I'm going to get in that line and I'm going to try to dunk. And on the, which it, I was shocked myself because on the first attempt, I dunked. How
1: did the... How did the guys react when you just kind of stepped in line at that practice and
2: made that first dunk? They were shocked. And I mean, they (laughs) witnessed it with their own eyes, but I think they were so shocked that they didn't even believe it themselves. They were like, oh, my gosh, do it again. So I, I stepped back up and I did it again. I did it. I probably dunked like three times because after I did it the second time, it was just pandemonium. And they were running back into the coach's office to go get my coach to show him that I could dunk. So I had to do it probably at least three or four times before anybody would legitimately believe that this thing was real.
0: You know, Kristen, it's almost as if women have to work three or four dunks as hard to earn the same respect men get. (laughs)
1: Right, right. I think that's the old saying. (laughs) But we should note that not long before Charlotte's generation hit the court, it was not easy for girls to play organized basketball at all. Before Title IX came along in 1972, for instance, many women's varsity teams would just have to practice around the men's team schedule. Or for away games, guys would get charter buses, while girls' teams
0: had to pay their own way with things like bake sales. So, in 1991, when Charlotte landed a scholarship to play college ball for the UNC Tar Heels, the team was nowhere close to being a national powerhouse like they are today. But all that started
1: to change once Charlotte hit the court in her number 23 jersey, the same number her mom sported when she played ball back in her day, and, of course, my
0: favorite 23
2: was Michael Jordan.
0: As a freshman, Charlotte was named Rookie of the Year, and by her senior year, there were four players on her team who could dunk. In warm-ups before their games, they'd all line up and dunk back-to-back.
2: And it was so intimidating for our opponents that they... <laughs> would be shaking in their boots in warm-ups because they, I mean, how often would you see that? Hardly ever, for women dunking in warm-ups.
1: Caroline, I love the psychological warfare, but dunking in a game is way harder to pull off. Like, the net's got to be clear, and you, you kind
0: of need a running start. Charlotte's team would even try to set her up to dunk. But in fact, the shot that put Charlotte and the women's game on the map was not the dunk. It was the three-pointer.
1: I got to ask you about what the New York Times called, and I quote, the single most dramatic shot in the history of women's basketball that you made at the 1994 NCAA Women's Championship game. Can you please tell our listeners the story of what happened, the shot that you made that changed so much for
2: the women's game? It was just Oh my gosh, it was such an incredible feeling to be in Richmond, Virginia in 1994, actually playing for the national championship game. That game was nip and tuck. It was back and forth, back and forth. There was never really any kind of separation in the game in terms of the point spread. And I remember the last minute of the game, last 15 seconds of the game, Louisiana Tech hits a shot to go up by two. And Tanya Sampson, who was our go-to player at the time, dribbled the ball the full length of the court. She came down and shot a shot. I think it hit maybe just the side of the backboard. And Marion Jones and myself were down on the ground, scrambling for the loose ball with just a few seconds left in the game. And by the time the official blew the whistle for the jump ball, I remember looking up at the shot clock. That was my first instinct to see how much time was left on the clock. There were seven-tenths of a second left on the clock. And when I saw that, my heart sank because I was thinking, we lost this game. There's no way you can do anything with seven-tenths of a second. After a quick attempt for a play, one of Charlotte's teammates calls a timeout.
1: And in their huddle, the coach explains the play they're going to try. And they're going to go for a win, not just a tie, which means someone's got to make a three-point shot.
0: And Charlotte is like, oh, God, I hope it's not me.
2: And she calls my name. I felt like my heart sank all the way to my feet at that time (laughs) because that was a lot of pressure. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm not the best three-point shooter. The game is on the line. It's either I hit it or miss. And if I miss, everybody will hate me. That's what I was thinking to myself.
1: They get back in the game, and three defenders from the other team start covering Charlotte's teammate thinking she's the one who's going to try the shot. That leaves Charlotte wide open.
2: And I recall backpedaling out beyond the three-point line. And it felt like an eternity waiting for that ball to get to my hands. And when I shot it, I just remember praying, please, God, let this shot go in. And I sank the shot to win the national championship. (laughs) And I just remember being bombarded by all of my teammates, cheerleaders, everybody. And I'm down on the ground just saying, thank you, God. And uh, it was just one of those moments. It was so surreal. It's just like I remember being that little girl in my grandmother's backyard doing the countdown, the 10, 9, 8 and pretending to hit a game winning shot. And never in my life imagining that I would hit not only a game winning shot, but a shot to win a national title.
0: Even though women's college ball was still fighting for legitimacy, when Charlotte sank the shot to win the
2: Tar Heels the NCAA championship, folks were watching. People often talk about that shot being the shot heard around the world. And fortunately for us, it was a nationally televised game. I think it was on CBS. So that was a game changer for the women's game. But I think there was more uh, buzz about the national championship game and hitting that shot versus the dunk. Caroline, I love this.
1: Like After all that buzz about her game-winning three-pointer, Charlotte told the New York Times that she was, quote, content with the game-winning move, but wanted to become the second
0: woman ever to dunk in a college game. Basically, she called her own shot in the news. And she did it. It was her senior year, and with the clock winding down on her college career, Charlotte made her official regulation game dunk. But she didn't do just any dunk, Caroline. Just like she would practiced over and
1: over again growing up, Charlotte did the jump, man. And with her basketball to-do list complete, Charlotte mostly felt relief in that moment.
2: Because I remember going into college, having that as one of my goals. And everybody kept saying, you know, when are you going to dunk? When are you going to dunk? And it was like year after year. My freshman year, it didn't happen. My sophomore year, it didn't happen. My junior year. And by the time my senior year came around, I was feeling the pressure because I was like, I only have one more year to get this done. So when I finally dunked, it was pretty exciting. And, And it was a relief at the same time to have finally accomplished it.
1: What wasn't a relief? Having the skills, discipline, and vision like Charlotte to go pro when going pro was no girls allowed.
0: That's up next... Plus, we're going to meet the future face of the WNBA yam. Caroline, why are you talking about sweet potatoes? (laughs) Girl, it is lingo for a slam dunk. Get with it.
1: Caroline, you are super hip, and y'all, don't go away.
0: We're back with Charlotte Smith, ex-dunker and current head coach of women's basketball at Elon University. When we left off, Charlotte's game was heating up just in time to graduate,
1: which was pretty much the end of the road for talented female players like her. Well,
2: it was pretty much you played on the collegiate level. And then if you wanted to pursue professional opportunities, you were going to have to go overseas and it takes me back to like my high school yearbook. And I remember writing in my book that I was gonna play in the NBA. That was like, I I just truly believed that there were if there were no professional opportunities that I was gonna play in the NBA.
0: Yeah, Charlotte's initial dream was to play in the NBA because the WNBA didn't exist yet. In fact, in 1977, the New Orleans Jazz did draft six foot three Lucy Harris Stewart, who Just assumed it was a joke. Still, the NBA did not come knocking for Charlotte. Yeah, and in the 80s, there
1: had also been a number of failed attempts at establishing a women's pro league. So for Charlotte, the dream of pro ball still felt within reach. Just not in America, where even today, two-thirds of WNBA players still have to play overseas
2: during the offseason to make ends meet. I was shocked to see that there was so much talent overseas and just thinking to myself, we have all of this talent here in the States, but yet we have to travel thousands of miles to display that talent. Charlotte was recruited by an Italian team, and she was
1: grateful for the chance to keep playing, but it was still a bummer to have to travel so far away from
2: home just to stay on the court. I was one of those ones that had a calendar on my wall and put in an X on every day, just waiting for the opportunity to get back home. In
0: 1996, Charlotte did get back home to play for the U.S. women's team in the Atlanta Summer Olympics. This had been another goal of hers, and spoiler, y'all, she achieved it. With an undefeated record, the U.S. women's team took the gold.
1: After that electrifying Olympic win, excitement about women's basketball in the U.S. was at an all-time high, Endorsements came rolling in, ticket sales were through the roof, and after five failed attempts to establish a
0: lasting women's league in the U.S., the WNBA was born. And it didn't take long for Charlotte to be drafted. She played from 1999 to 2006. But listen, once there was a professional women's league, the pressure was on to prove they had game.
1: So what could possibly prove that? The dunk, of course. And in 1997, during the WNBA's inaugural season, Lisa Leslie attempted to jam it.
0: And she missed.
1: Yeah, and of course, sports commentators and fans alike dragged her for it. In fact, it would take another five years for Leslie to make that first WNBA dunk we heard at the top of this episode. But what's even wilder to me,
0: Caroline
1: is that no other players in the league even attempted to dunk in the
0: meantime. Well, that brings us to the second big reason we rarely see women dunking. You know, we have talked about the fact that women's bodies aren't as dunk-equipped as men's. And the number two reason was strategy. Girls usually aren't coached to dunk. But why deprive us fans of lady dunks? Like, why is that a strategy? Dunking is a physically risky move. You know, if you don't nail it, you could really hurt yourself. So you have coaches who don't think it's worth the chance of injury and passing up an easier two-pointer.
1: Caroline, I also wonder if gender factors into this coaching dynamic, too. Like, this is totally an armchair theory, but around 60% of women's college teams have male coaches. And I can't help but wonder if maybe they're also underestimating women's dunking potential. I mean, just think about Charlotte. Like, she had to teach herself to dunk, but as a coach... Charlotte thinks regardless of how you're built, if you want to dunk, the first thing it takes is just practice, practice, and more practice. So how does one, um, I'm asking this like such a (laughs) real basketball noob, but how do you
2: practice a dunk? Well, the biggest thing is, is, can you palm the basketball? Because if you can't palm the basketball, you're going to struggle to dunk.
0: Charlotte tells her players who want to dunk to work on hand strength. She gives them a little spring that fits in the palm of your hand and you work your way up from there.
2: I have them start with like a tennis ball because a lot of it is just the mental aspect. Because if you ever tried to dunk and you got hung, is what they call it, or pinned by the rim, that sends a shock through your spine and it's very painful. Mm. So the first thing is practicing with the tennis ball. Then the next thing is moving up to the volleyball And building that mental confidence that you can dunk with either one of those balls. And along with that mental confidence, some role modeling doesn't hurt either. You never know what you can accomplish until you have the courage to step out in the face of fear and say, I too can do this. I'm excited for the day where it will become something that's the norm for females. And I think we've gotten to a point to where it's not as shocking. Uh, You know, when you have the likes of Candace Parker, Brittany Griner. So I'm just grateful to have had that type of influence and that profound impact on women to where we feel like, you know, we too can dunk.
0: That see it to be a trickle-down effect, it's part of a generational shift with more and younger girls coaching themselves to dunk, including our next guest. Why don't you think
3: girls are taught to dunk? I think it's just something that has, that's not big in our sport. Like for guys, they have to rely on athleticism or, or, you know, being able to jump high for the game to be interesting. You know, it's all entertainment, but I feel like for girls, it's more fundamentally sound and work on more passing, cutting and shooting and learning other stuff like that. But I don't know, like, it's just something that hasn't been taught and isn't the norm for us, but is quickly, quickly becoming the norm. This is Letitia here. Our
0: second guest today is a 17-year-old powerhouse who, to us, embodies the future of women's basketball. In 2017, at just 15 years old, Letitia dunked during a tournament, making her the first girl in Canadian history to dunk during a regulation game. And the crowd went wild. The video went viral, and pretty soon, Letitia was all over the news. So
1: we figured, who better than Letitia to talk to about whether dunking really is that missing wow factor for the women's game? Or, again, are we just getting hung up on the jam?
0: Yeah, and Kristen, the kind of crazy thing about Leticia's story is that she really had no idea that girls aren't supposed to dunk.
3: Yeah, Um. well, for girls, like, you don't really get taught that. Like, I remember searching up on YouTube, actually, I was searching girls that can dunk. And... I wouldn't see nothing come up. And I was just like, I didn't even know that it was something that was missing from our game. Like, I was very confused. Like, I just didn't understand. I was like, it might. like, I would even ask because at that time, my English wasn't that good. As a
1: first-generation Canadian immigrant, Leticia was raised speaking French by her parents who were
3: from Ghana and Ivory Coast. Like, I was pretty young and I I went to a French school. So I was like, am I spelling it wrong? Like, I tried (laughs) D-U-N-C-K. Like, I was just confused. I was like, okay, why am I not finding anything? But, you know, I had to ask my brothers and he's like, girls, like, that's just not the norm. Like, it just doesn't happen. And I'm like, what? Like, I have to do it. And just remembering my coach and him always trying to say, like, try to be different or or try to achieve, achieve stuff. So that just stuck in my head. And I'm like, I want to be different. I want to try to do this.
0: So just like Charlotte, Leticia taught herself.
3: I remember before practice, I would look at a video and then I would go after practice and try it. Like it was nothing that I really got taught or um, somebody taught me. It was just like just watching videos, so. And she figured it out, as you can hear.
0: In the cell phone video her friend took that went viral last year, Letitia plays on the Canadian national team and just committed to
1: the University of South Carolina to play for the Gamecocks next fall. She was the number 10 high school recruit, Caroline. Whoop whoop.
0: But she didn't grow up in a basketball family. West Africa is way more of a soccer culture.
1: Has any of your family been kind of bummed out that you are not playing soccer? They're like, why is she playing basketball?
3: You should be playing soccer. At first, yeah, but then once I started hitting six feet tall, then you really can't complain.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was actually going to ask you just about being a tall girl, like even before you started playing basketball, because um, I'm 5'9", which is, you know, it's it's tall enough. And growing up, I was always the tallest kid. And sometimes I was like kind of cool, you know, but a lot of times it did make me feel like, I just kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. And I was wondering for you, like what it was like just growing up as a tall girl.
3: Oh man, it was very, really tough. Um, I wouldn't say I got bullied, but I definitely did not feel comfortable in my body. Um, I always would try to regress, you know, not try to stand tall. My mom would always tell me to stand tall and wear heels and all that. But I just, I didn't feel comfortable because, you know, my friends weren't tall, but... As soon as I started playing basketball, it was, a, it was a great outlook for me to meet taller girls, you know, share the same struggles, same, share the same problems. So it was just playing basketball just helped me with um, the community, really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had never even thought about basketball as like truly like the sisterhood of tall women because it is such a particular right. experience.
3: It is. It is. When I was younger, I was always surrounded by boys and, you know, they wouldn't let me play or I wasn't able to go in with them because I was skinny or I wasn't talented. But as soon as I started playing basketball, it gave me a community. It gave me best friends and and sisters that I could be with every day and just challenge yourself.
0: I feel like I need Letitia to
1: just be my life coach. You and me both, Caroline. I mean, earlier this year, Letitia tore her ACL, but... She persevered right through the months of physical and mental rehab. Yeah, I said mental rehab. Letitia says she meditated. She read this book called A Champion's Mind that really inspired her. And she kept her sights set on her big goal in order to push through the small ones and get stronger. Well, what's her big goal? Oh, you know, uh, just the same kind of thing as your average
3: 17-year-old. My goal is to go to the 2020 Olympics, and that's everything. Every single day when I went to rehab, I was like, 2020 Olympics.
0: Since the U.S. women's team has won the gold the past six out of six Olympics, Letitia says it's time for Canada to snatch it away.
1: And who knows, Caroline? Maybe Leticia will become the first woman to dunk in an Olympic game. I mean, she's definitely got the skills. So watching a dunk is Super satisfying. But what does it feel
3: like to dunk? Oh, man. Like, it is... Like, I feel like I'm flying. It just feels so good. Like, not even being able to jump, but being able to punch the ball into the rim. I think that's the most, like, exciting part. When you hear the rim shackle or you feel the vibration of the rim, it just... It's a really great feeling. It sounds like it feels powerful. It is. It does. It does.
1: So powerful. But Caroline... Is it powerful enough to earn women's
0: basketball the street credit deserves? We'll find out after the break. We're back with
1: Leticia Amiher, the 17-year-old slam dunk superstar.
0: So, Charlotte talked about this idea a little earlier, but Leticia really hit on it, too, that another reason that girls aren't dunking is because they've got a steeper mental hurdle to get over to try it.
3: It goes back again to the norm. Like, you know, I just... It's something that people don't do, and it's just like, okay, well, if I miss, then, like, it would be easier for me to do a layup, and that's guaranteed that goes in. But if I miss this, like, it'll look bad and all that. But once you get away from that and you're thinking okay well what if I do make it right so once you start making them people are gonna look at it and be like okay well I'm I won't be afraid to do it because I feel like a lot of a lot of girls can dunk a lot of girls are capable to dunk in games but since a lot of people are not doing it they're scared they just don't want to try but now people are starting to try start people are starting to implement that a little bit in the game
0: Letitia's right. Lots more girls are dunking today, whether they're 17-year-olds like her or pros like Brittany Griner, who was the first player to dunk in more than one WNBA game.
1: So why wouldn't more girls just push through the fear and dunk it? Well, that brings us to reason number three for why women don't dunk. Even if you've got number one, the build, and number two, the strategy and practice, you've still got to contend with number three controversy, which is usually shorthand for some sexist nonsense.
0: Right. This whole thing is like a double-edged dunk, right? If you don't do it, then the game is inferior to men's. But when you do dunk, folks are usually lined up to nitpick it. Like, oh, well, she just like tipped it in like an amateur. Just take it from Letitia.
3: Oh, yeah. Under my videos, there's hundreds of people commentate, go back to the kitchen, or this is not even a real dunk, travel, double dribble, like just like random stuff, anything that comes to mind. But at the end of the day, you asked for it and we brought it, we delivered. So you really cannot be complaining. Like you can't say that we are not dunking. And then once you start dunking and you say it's not real, then what else do you want? Get ready for an ironic twist. Dunks have become
1: a hallmark of the men's game, yeah, but... They have always been controversial and often used to delegitimize up-and-comers' games. Like, in 1935, for instance, Country Gentleman magazine, which Mm. I I know you subscribe to, Caroline,
0: they published an article titled, Dunking Isn't Basketball. Yeah, the move was considered beneath the sport, which wasn't a tall man's game back then. For one thing, the net was arbitrarily hung at 10 feet, and in 1940, the average player was just 5'10". But as taller dudes, often
1: called freaks and glandular goons in the papers, once these tall guys came along, they could not only dunk, but also bat down shots from opposing players and basketball purists. We're pissed. In fact, from the 1930s through the 1980s, there's been a whole recurring debate as to whether men's basketball should just raise the rim from 10 to 12 feet to make it harder for the so called freaks and geeks. I mean, uh, glandular goons. Freaks and glandular goons, is that the name of that TV show? (laughs) Yes.
0: Then things really heated up in the 1960s when suddenly you get African-American breakout stars like Wilt Chamberlain, who for the first time had the size and skills to dominate the court and dunk like nobody's business.
1: Then you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was so good at dunking that the NCAA decides to ban the dunk between 1967 and 1976. In the words of a racist college coach, the ban was meant to, quote, put a stop to the six foot two brothers who could dazzle the crowd and embarrass much bigger white kids by dunking, which was a polite way of saying, hey, we can't let the black guys beat the white guys. So they banned the dunk, Caroline, because...
0: White masculinity so fragile. (laughs) That's for sure. Once the NCAA reinstated the dunk, along came the three-pointer in 1986. No, really, it was described as the great equalizer to balance out all those dunk points.
1: So take those shady attitudes towards dunking, and once women are in the game add an extra dose of sexism on the top.
0: Yeah, get this nonsense that happened to Charlotte's dunking predecessor, Georgianne Wells. She was a center at West Virginia when she made the first ever dunk in women's college ball in 1984. The crowd and Georgianne's teammates went so wild when it happened, the ref gave West Virginia a technical foul for getting too rowdy. Talk about some spoil sports. Right? But when it made the news, reporters hadn't captured any photo or video evidence. So, when the word spread, a lot of folks just didn't believe it happened. Even though her West Virginia coach, Kitty Blakemore, best coach name ever, yes, had been training six foot seven Georgianne to dunk at practice. Cut to that fateful game where Georgianne makes the historic dunk. The rival team's coach, Bud Francis, felt Georgianne's dunk was such an embarrassment, he hid the footage. Coach Kitty even asked him for it and he refused. In fact, it wasn't until after
1: Bud Francis died that his son stumbled on the tape. And 25 years later, Georgian Wells finally got to watch the replay of her historic dunk. Not that that was her only regulation dunk. Like, despite all that initial haterade, Georgian kept on dunking, including at the Basketball Hall of Fame ceremony the following year.
0: But the nonsense hasn't stopped. I mean, take Charlotte Smith's dunking successor, Michelle Snow, who learned to dunk from Charlotte at basketball camp, by the way. I mean, Snow was the third woman to dunk in a college game, but she was crushed by the critical letters to the editor and shitty sports columns that people wrote about her. Among the sexist commentary—y'all are gonna love this—her dunking was simply unladylike. So stereotypes basically dictate
1: that guys play basketball above the rim, whereas women play basketball stuck on the floor, relying more on teamwork-oriented fundamentals like passing and rebounding with fewer dunks. And the idea is that playing, quote-unquote, stuck on the floor is simply less exciting – And those baked-in assumptions translate into so-called justification for fewer people tuning in, less media attention, less street cred, and, of course, less money.
0: But let's be real. I mean, dunks are exciting. They definitely do get people fired up. And in women's games, maybe especially because they're so unexpected.
1: So do you remember the first time that you dunked with people who were watching and, like, how— how they reacted
3: yeah i mean um for me like i would even before i was able to dunk i would always like try to touch the rim and even then like people were flabbergasted like people would scream and jump like just me trying to touch the rim so when i started trying with the ball like even when i would get up and i would miss people would go crazy like they would be so excited so I'm like, I have to be able to put it in because if they get excited by these little things, like I have to be able to put it in. So when I did, it wasn't it wasn't the greatest dunks. Like I didn't punch it in like it was a squeeze. But people went insane. Like I remember just doing it after practices after that. Like, I'm like, OK, I can't stop. Like, this is too, too entertaining. So I just kept on doing it. <laughs>
1: This kind of excitement that Letitia gets is exactly why players dunk in professional ball. Like, it's fun. The crowd goes wild. But Letitia admits that the dunk fetish can also be kind of a drag. Like, the move is all about you and making this spectacle,
0: but not so much about your team. I mean, talk about a spectacle. Like, there are even professional consultants that players will pay to design razzle-dazzle dunks for the NBA slam dunk contest.
3: That's definitely where it's at right now. Like, um, a lot of people are famous just because they can dunk. And it has nothing to do with their skills at all. It's all because they can dunk. And a lot of people are getting scholarships just because they can dunk. Or because they can throw on a show. Which really shouldn't be where, you know, the main focus is. But then again, you got to get tickets sold, so, you know.
0: What would it prove if we did see more women dunking? Would it help get women's basketball on an even playing field with men's? Would it prove our credibility on the court? Letitia says, sure, dunks in women's
1: basketball help sell tickets, but those dunk fanatics aren't necessarily the audience the WNBA needs or deserves. So I I hate to ask you this question, but I'm gonna. <laughs> Would you rather <laughs> watch an NBA game or a WNBA game?
3: Oh, definitely WNBA. I, I do not watch... The NBA, I feel like there's two different type of audience when you're coming to watch a, a basketball game. There's the people that enjoy the game. They're trying to learn from it. There's the fundamental part where it's passing and cutting and shooting and, and moving off penetration and, you know, just the real core of basketball. Then there's other people that are just there to watch the dunks and to scream and to, you know, just have a good time. So, yes, I would say the NBA fulfills both of the audience a little bit better, just in terms of the athleticism and that they're showcasing. But if you're a real, real basketball fan and you're you're eager to learn and and see the real game at its core, I think WNBA presents that a lot better. So I definitely go with WNBA any day of the week.
1: Caroline, I think Leticia makes a good point, and I honestly wish every basketball fan could hear this. But I also wanted to get Coach Smith's take on all this because, you know, she's played in the WNBA. So there's this argument that, you know, bringing more dunking to women's basketball will bring more fans and more of that attention. And I'm wondering if you think that is the case, whether, you know, dunking, more dunking is a so-called silver bullet to, to getting more folks paying attention?
2: I don't, I don't think more dunking is a silver bullet to getting uh, more fans to attend and more males to attend the game. Well, of course, it would pique a lot of curiosity. I can't take that away. It definitely would pique a lot more curiosity and probably draw more fans in. But I think once they got to the games and were exposed to uh, just the purity and the passion of the game, then they would have an appreciation for it as well. You know, I I too wish that they were, there were more dunks in the game um, because it's exciting. It's an exciting part of the game. There's just something about playing above the rim that's exciting, but it should not negate the fact that women can play a great game and that it's an exciting game if we don't play above the rim.
0: As for Letitia, as long as she can, she's going to keep going for those dunks. Not only because it's awesome and the crowd goes wild, but because she wants to prove to everyone watching that girls can do this too.
3: As soon as that video went viral, I kid you not, I probably got 100 DMs of young girls asking me what type of workouts I do to dunk, what type of strengthening exercises I do. And it's just like, okay, like, clearly there's an interest. Clearly people want to try to do this. They want to get educated. They want to get informed. And even after that, like, I would I saw like a bunch of girls like trying to dunk. I saw a lot of girls putting putting it in in games and it's like okay, now the culture is starting to change. A lot of people are starting to, you know, realize that we can do it too and try to bring it back into our, our culture. And it's also so cool to think
1: about like all of those girls who are DMing you were just like you getting on the internet, googling around, you know, trying yep. to find the videos. But the difference is they now like they get a video result. They get to
3: see you. Exactly.
1: Like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean the most exciting part about that is not only that, you know, I'm there when they search it up, but there's more girls. A lot more girls who
0: not only make it look easy, but whose own viral videos make it clear that beyond being an impressive move, dunking is just part of their game. Leticia has her sights set
1: on getting more girls fired up, too. Mentoring other young women is a huge part of what she wants to do, both now as a player and one day down the line maybe as a coach, like Charlotte. But most of all, Letitia is looking forward to a day not so long from now when she won't have to rely on the internet to make a ruckus about her playing. Instead, she's going to be a star player for an NCAA team, and Caroline, when she looks out into the stands... She'll see real live fans. And am I imagining you and me in the front row? Yeah, yeah, I am.
3: I've yet to play in a a stadium packed. So I'm excited to to play in a packed crowd and get that environment and the cheering and all of that. I'm excited for that.
0: And hopefully by the time Letitia's killing it in the WNBA, those arenas will be packed for her, too. And this is my final
1: prediction for this episode, Caroline. As soon as more women like Leticia start dunking, here's what I guarantee you. Within five years, the NBA will raise its rim to 12 feet. Because that's the whole thing. (laughs) That's the witchy power of the dunk over the women's game is that it's a moving target. Because as soon as we master that skill, the guys are going to raise the rim. So let's not be seduced by the dunk. I mean, is it so fun to watch? Yes.
0: Did I get goosebumps watching videos of, like, 15- and 17-year-old girls dunking in their high school games? Absolutely.
1: And are we serious when we say, Letitia, will you be our life coach? Yeah. Yeah, we are. We really are.
0: Maybe she can finally help me reach the rim.
1: (laughs) Caroline, I think you're going to need another Caroline to get there. (laughs) True. But if anyone can help you do that, it is her.
0: If y'all want to see amazing dunk videos, and we know you do, head on over to our website, unladylike.co.
1: While you're there, you can stock up on our merch, our book, which is a great gift idea, and subscribe to our newsletter, where every Wednesday we send out actually good news about women in the world. You know, like how great and inspired you feel after hearing this episode. You can feel that way every week after reading our newsletter. You can also
0: find a link to subscribe in the show notes for this episode. Can you dunk a ball? Do you coach basketball? Do you have any other sports stories you want us to know? Tell us everything. You can email us at hello at unladylike.co or hit us up on social media at unladylikemedia. Also, you know our pep talks? Well,
1: we're working on some more of them and we want to know what you need a pep talk for. Email us your pep talk request or call into our hotline 2628 galpal And is there someone you'd love to hear a pep talk from? Tell us
0: that, too. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Nora Ritchie is our associate producer. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Ash Sanders and Abigail Barr transcribe our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tedson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radalic. Special thanks to Paul Rees and Sarah Melton. And we are your hosts, Caroline Irvin. And Kristen Conger. Next week, we're learning the history of some very special places.
1: The walls were red, sort of famously red. And I don't know if people, if people were like sexy or womb-like or I don't really know what, <laughs> where, where, where things went with that. Why are lesbian bars disappearing? We'll talk to the former owner of one of the most legendary
0: bars to find out. Make sure you subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss it. And don't forget, listen to Unladylike on Stitcher Premium to hear our show without ads and get exclusive bonus episodes. We've got a very special gift conversation coming up next week, so sign up for Stitcher Premium at stitcher.com slash premium. Don't forget, use the code Unladylike for a month of free listening. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike.
1: But I also wanted to ask Coach Smith for her take on all of this since, you know, she's played in the WNBA, that little badass. Can't call her that. Oh, God, I called (laughs) Coach Smith a little badass.
0: Stitcher.